Welcome to the Best of MBS podcast, a collection of the best interviews hosted by Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. Today's interview is from The Coaching Habit podcast. Here's your host, MBS. Welcome. It is Michael Bungay-Stanier. This is The Coaching Habit podcast. I'm thrilled to have you with us. The Coaching Habit podcast where I get down and dirty with people who are thinkers, who are leaders, who are writers, some of them are even coaches. And we get talking about what it takes to have a good life, to strive to do more great work, to bring out the best in yourself and bring out the best in others. So today I'm speaking to Lainey Jolson-Cohen. In the 26 years that she's been with Citi, Citibank, Lainey has held a number of different roles across both the brokerage business and also in the human resources side of things as well. In fact, for over 10 years, she was a senior leader in the equity compensation where she honed her leadership skills, leading multifunctional teams and helping them work together successfully. No small thing. If you've ever led a team, you know how hard it is to get a multifunctional team to work together. About five years ago, she, following her passion for coaching and leadership, she switched careers and became Director of Leadership, Executive and Professional Development. And in fact, Lainey and I got to know each other because we are both part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coach Group, where Marshall has kind of blessed 100 people. So far, he's picked 50 of those 100 as kind of his heirs, if you like, heirs apparent for the work he does in the world. And Lainey and I both part of that, so that's the connection we made there. And of course, Lainey believes that using a coaching style and curiosity as the cornerstone to her work opens up channels of trust and leads to collaboration, performance, and impact, which is exactly the thing we want to get into. So Lainey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And first, your first ever podcast. How cool am I to get you as your, your first guest, first podcast? I feel. I, I feel, know. This is great. So. I feel pretty lucky. Ah, as do I. So you've had a, a 26-year career at City. Um, so you've traveled all sorts of different paths and different journeys. I'm curious to know, you know, as you think about what impact you're seeking to have with your work now, well, you know, where are you putting your attention? What are you trying to make happen in this world? It's amazing being in an organization for 26 gasp years. (laughs) I know. It's like, wait, how can I I have worked here for 26 years and be as young as I am? I know that feeling. When you start somewhere when you're 12 years old, what can happen? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I've had my own journey, but the organization is also having its journey. And, um, you know, as I'm sure many people are experiencing, the world that we find ourselves in today and the environments in which we work quite different maybe than where they were even five, 10 years ago. Right. And so, you know, having that actually requires us to take a step back and think about what is the culture that we need in our organization that will enable us to, you know, exist and succeed in the world today as, as it stands. And so it's been a really interesting time to think differently and try to work with leaders in an organization as big as City to, to contemplate who we need to be, what we need to be doing, and what is the environment or the culture that we need to, as I said, succeed and, and thrive in this crazy world that we found ourselves in. So, you know, even though, I mean, Box of Crayons, my company is a training company. We focus on coaching skills for busy managers and the like. But honestly, I cut my teeth as what I would call an OD practitioner, an OD facilitator. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do you make culture change happen in organizations? How do you help companies evolve and grow so that they become the company we, we hope they be so that people can flourish in there? 
And here's the bottom line. It's really hard. <laughs> I mean, the statistics, it's really hard. the statistics are grim, Lainey. I mean, it's, you think of, I think, change management processes in general, about 40 to 50% fail outright, 40% make some progress, 10% actually, perhaps, maybe it's 11%, I think I read, actually hit the target that they were aiming for. So, you know, I mean, the bad news is the odds are against you. <laughs> the good news is, I'm sure you've got some stuff figured out. So what, what are you learning in terms of what's needed to make culture change happen? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, you're, you're spot on. I mean, first of all, every organization has a culture, right? Mm. It might not be the culture that they want. <laughs> or, or the even culture the culture that, that they ta- the senior leadership talks about and thinks that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, culture is born out of so many different things. So often what happens is, you know, you aspire to a culture in an organization with all best intentions, but sometimes the operating system mm. kind of gets in the way. And so you might try to do something different and it's like tissue rejection, right? This isn't how we do it here right. or yeah, the, exactly. the processes and the system. is rejecting. And, yeah. yeah. And so, so it really requires change on so many levels. So when you think about culture, it's not just, you know, how we talk about ourselves and how we talk to each other. There's so many things. What is our purpose? Um, and how do we actually get work done? Because the way that we get work done, those processes and those systems and the structure actually has a huge impact on culture. So we're really trying to think about all of those things and, and the great news is, you know, the first step, I think, is awareness, having mm-hmm. good conversations about where we want to be and what we need to do differently in order to compete and succeed in the world today. And so, you know, if you think about a bank and a 200-year-old bank, the world is very different in terms of, you know, the FinCon yeah. uh, FinCon companies that are coming in and really changing the way that we do things. And I'm so excited that we have so many innovative people in the organization who are really creating this almost groundswell of conversation and awareness of how we need to do things differently. So I'll give you an example. We used to, I think, and, and many companies still do, we certainly still do as well. You know, we used to think that in order to put out a product, whether it be something internal to the organization or a product that goes out to our clients, it needed to be perfect. And we might, in fact, work on said product for two years, right. get it just right, and then launch it out into the universe and wait and see what happens. That's very, very 2004 of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and I think, you know, we'd all agree that just doesn't work anymore. Mm. Uh, things are moving so much more quickly. And so the ability to experiment and fail fast and come out into the world with a minimum viable product is what we really need to be doing differently. Um, Again, both externally to our clients and internally as an organization, whether it's an internal system or product or process, um, it's the same concept. And so that really requires a lot of different things from our leaders and all of our employees than maybe we had in the past different way of thinking and acting and so forth. So part of the challenge I imagine with a, an organization as big and as kind of diverse as city, you know, different business units, different ways of working, is that there's actually not one culture, there's multiple cultures. And if you're striving to build a new culture, in some ways what you're striving to do is build an umbrella of this is how we do things at city, and then in your part of city, this is how your version of that shows up. But I'm curious to know whether 
you know, the plant, do you start with one part of the bank and go, we're going to work here and we're going to think we're going to try and prototype here and go through rapid iteration of culture change here before we roll it out to different parts of the bank? Are you trying multiple experiments in different parts of the bank? Is it a more classic from the top down rollout throughout the whole of the bank? How are you thinking differently about how to make culture change stick? Yes, 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 all of it. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, so what I mean by that is, you know, we, we are having conversations with senior leadership. You know, culture has to really be owned in the organization. It's often, it's both coming from senior leadership in an organization, kind of leading the way, talking the talk, um, sharing expectations and new ways of doing things. But it also has to happen in every layer of an organization. And as you mentioned, cultures can be really different all over the place. Um, you know, you might have one culture in the consumer bank that might be different right. in the investment bank and one culture in Europe that might be different than the culture that we have in exactly. Asia Pacific. And so what's really important is having a conversation around the place where, you know, we not only have messaging that's coming from senior leadership, but also starting to have conversations within the organization at all levels between leaders and their teams between teams that work together cross-functionally so that we start to, you know, really be more deliberate and set out how it is that we want to work together and what are those rules, if you will, that are so important in order for us to be able to shift the culture in the way that, you know, we want to do that. So for instance, you know, we have a mission and value proposition as most organizations mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Um, and we also have something called our leadership standards which really talk about how we work together. Right. And so, you know, making sure that those leadership standards are embedded in the way that we work, in the way that we measure performance. Mm. Um, and all that we do is really an important aspect of that culture change and looking at it across the organization rather than in pockets. Yeah. So, you know, wherever you work at City, those leadership standards are there. And then individually in organizations, we sort of interpret how do we bring this to life in the way that we work together or for us in our business. Right. And what I like about that is I can see how leadership standards kind of provide ways of working internally within a unit, but also work kind of the connective tissue between units, but also the experience you might give your customers and your clients. Because I've been thinking so hard and long about habits. And when you think about what a culture is, people will say, well, it's kind of the way we do things around here. Which is mm. one of those statements hard to disagree with. It always felt a bit vague to me. What do you do with that? But somebody once said, you know, what your culture is, is your collection of habits. And so if you're changing your culture, you're looking to change the way we do things by changing our habits. So part of what I like about that leadership standard inside is potentially what these are, are the new habits for how we work with ourselves and with others. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to think about it. And the concept of a habit is really relevant here because if we're going to do things differently, it doesn't happen all at once, right? It happens over time and with practice. Yeah. And so having a lexicon or a language to sort of define that and enable us to do things in a certain way over time and to hold ourselves accountable actually yep. and measure what we're doing is so important because it does take a long time to, you know, change a habit, to build a habit and to shift a culture. So let me shift the focus away from the entirety of Citibank 
to, <laughs> to, to focus on you because so much of what I value about these conversations is what people share about their own path to become who they're there. So one of the quotes I love, you know, regular listeners will have heard me say this many times, inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense. So I'm curious, you know, as you look back on your past to what got you to here and the work that you're doing now, what's one or two kind of, if you like, crossroad moments, those moments where you're like, wow, could take a left or a right, and I'm taking a right, and that kind of changes everything. They took you off on a path that you may never have expected. Yeah, I love that question. When I think about that, I really think about the shifts that I made in my career path. I had the opportunity, as you mentioned in the introduction, to run big teams as part of a rather technical area of human resources at City. And as we've talked about, my career has been at City for many, many years. In leading those teams, what I realized was that the products that we had, you know, the products that we were um, responsible for wasn't the thing that actually got me out of bed in the morning. It wasn't my purpose. It was actually leading the teams that really mm. made a difference for me as a person and, you know, was so critically important. I loved helping people be successful. I loved helping cross-functional teams work well together. Right. But I didn't really have a way to articulate it at the time. And I was getting to a point where I f was feeling a little bit like I needed to do something different. And serendipitously, I was invited into a leadership program at City. Right. And while I was there, they had coaches at each of the tables um, coaching the participants. And we each got one hour coaching sessions with these coaches. And I walked out of that experience saying, this is what I need to be doing. Right. It's like epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic moment. You're like, whatever your job is, I want that job. Yeah. And so, you know, it took me a while um, to sort of make it happen. And so about five years ago, I actually officially moved into the space. But it, it was so interesting because, you know, we think that sometimes people know us better than we know ourselves. Right. And, and when I shared with those that I, you know, worked regularly with the change that I was making, which was pretty you know, it was a completely different career in the same organization. Yes, they all went, well, no kidding, Batman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense. Yeah, right. And I said, it does? <laughs> <laughs> so they all, they all figured it out way before I did, but yeah, that fantastic. was a really important moment for me. That's great. Hey, so part of what makes for a good coach or somebody committed to coaching is self-awareness. You know, I really think it's like, you know, teacher heal thyself and understanding what your own patterns and your own triggers are allow you to manage them better and show up more present and more fully for the people you're working with. And part of that is just understanding, you know, which of the patterns they're going to repeat for the rest of your life. <laughs> I certainly yeah. have those. Everybody has those. So I'm curious to know for you, what's the hard lesson you've had to learn or maybe you have to keep learning? Yeah, I thought a lot about, um, this idea of a hard lesson. And I think for me, it's really about understanding that not everybody wants to be coached. Right. And, you know, I really honed my coaching skills as a leader of teams. And then, you know, when I made this move into the learning space, I had the kind of conceptual stuff to put against it to understand what I was sort of doing, mm. you know. And, what, what was really an eye-opener for me was 
the fact that I needed to have a conversation with people to come to some sort of an agreement or a common understanding of how we were going to interact with each other and how we were going to work together. Right. You know, it, it, I had somebody on my team who, you know, f- was sort of exasperated and said, every time I just want you to tell me what to do, you start asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that 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 was something that I've come up against over time mm. and and what I've really found is having that sort of preliminary conversation to kind of talk about what our expectations are of one another whether it be a coaching engagement with somebody outside of my team or whether it be with somebody on my team is really important and um I guess I I would say I have to learn that over and over again because sometimes I forget to do that and and, and yeah. get reminded pretty quickly yeah, I remember being introduced to the concept of social contracting through Peter Block. Peter Block's mm. one of my kind of intellectual heroes. Social contracting is a way of framing exactly what you're talking about, which is before we talk about what we're going to work on, let's talk about how we're going to work together. Yeah. And, you know, the questions that can be useful are things like, you know, when you've worked like with somebody like me before and it's gone really well, what happened? Well, here's what happened on my side because, you know, it's an exchange of question and answer. You know, when it's gone badly, what what happened? What was the unilateral action you started to take when things started going badly? You know, what are you up against? Um, how do you feel about the amount of power or control you have in this relationship? Uh, these are all weird, awkward, difficult questions. But what you're talking to is the, the way power and relationship works. And what I loved about what Peter Block said was he said this, and it was in the context of kind of consultants and clients, but it's really in every conversation. What you don't talk about in social contracting is stuff you can never really talk about. So, for instance, if, if you're a, a consultant and you, you kind of fudge the money conversation, there's just never a good time to have a money conversation. It's always mm-hmm. awkward. But what you're doing by having permission, by having this conversation, Lainey, is saying, when things go off the rails, because they will, because they, they always do, you now have opened up permission on both sides to talk about it not working. And that's, I think, part of the genius of this. Yeah, I, I love that. And another question along those lines that I really like to ask people on my team when we first start working together is around, how do you like to receive feedback? Oh, yeah, perfect. Right? We, you know, we always think that people want to be recognized and they want to be recognized publicly for their good work. Yeah. And I'll tell you, not everybody does. And right. some people, they want you to tell them in private. They don't want it announced right. out to the broad team that they did something well. They just want to crawl under their desk and disappear. <laughs> right. And I thought, you know, that was a great learning for me as well. I love that. So just that simple question is so powerful. So that's a great question to ask. You know, I'm curious to know what other tool or process or model do you kind of go back to when you're working with people and you're kind of be more coach-like or coaching them? I mean, I know I have a few kind of default favorites that I always pull out because I'm like, this is always good. I'm wondering if you have one or two that you're like, I love this. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. When when you're coaching someone, I find that it's always organic, mm. right? So the conversations might go in different directions. But I love having a model to kind of fall back on. Yes. So there's moments where you need an anchor. And so I always love Sir John Whitmore's Grow Coaching mm. because of the simplicity of it. So, you know, you start with the goal and it really gives the opportunity for the person that you're coaching to own the conversation and own the direction. Right. So what is your goal? What's the current reality? 
what are the options? What mm-hmm. might you do here? And then really to get that commitment at the end by asking them, well, what will you do? Right. And so it's not on you as the leader or the manager, but it's actually the person who you're talking to who's owning the direction of the conversation and it's their reality. Your reality might be really different than their reality. Right. Um, And so, you know, my favorite time to use Grow, I will tell you, is with my teenage daughters. (laughs) (laughs) That is a moment where I lose all all rationality. Exactly. You're like, I need an anchor here because things are going crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So so I I changed the wording so it's a little more natural. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but Grow is one. Well, that's great. This month, September 2017, they've actually just released the 25th anniversary of Coaching for Performance, which is Uh, John's seminal book. Sadly, he died, I think, about a month and a half ago or two months ago. He did. Um, So he didn't see that coming out. But, you know, he and I shared a stage a few times, and uh, he was a lovely man. And that GROW model is so influential. Yeah, and the thing I love about it, too, for people who are building that coaching habit or that muscle, to have something really simple to connect to is, is always really helpful. So Lenny Jolson-Cohen, Director of, I'm going to get, make sure I get this right, Leadership, Executive, <laughs> and Professional Development at City. Thank you for being part of the Coaching Habit Podcast with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Best of MBS interview. Want more great content? Head to mbs.works. There you'll find MBS's new podcast, Two Pages. You can learn about his best-selling books, and you can join the newsletter. That's mbs.works.